The other set of notes I put there are called Understanding the Anointing. And early on when I started this series on the Holy Spirit, I, I, I was thinking about that and I mentioned it a little bit. But there was more I felt I wanted to say and yet I didn't feel I wanted to preach. Do you understand? That's the kind of dilemma. I didn't feel it, it was like, that's going to take a whole chunk of a, a sermon to just say that. And it's, it's really just to correct something. So um, I've given you the notes on understanding the anointing. You'll hear the word anointing all over the place from Charismatics and Pentecostals. Hey, I'm one of them, but I just want to be a little bit careful about some of the jargon that goes on and some of the, uh, uh, some stuff which may even appear foolish, but it actually is dangerous. So I've highlighted some of the danger of, of uh, some of the jargon talk about anointing. And the notes are there for you, but that's it. No say no more, that's it. You know, I've done my kind of uh, writing bit on that. This morning, last in our series on the Holy Spirit, the personal work of the Holy Spirit, is the missionary spirit. Last week, I, the week before, sorry, I didn't just talk about the Holy Spirit and prayer. I wanted to highlight he's the praying spirit. He himself prays, just as Jesus prays. Jesus prays to the Father. The Holy Spirit prays to the Father. And so when the Holy Spirit is teaching us to pray, he's teaching us to do something he does. You have to go back and get the CD and the notes to follow me through on that one. Well, today, he's not just the Holy Spirit who gives us a sense of mission or makes us missionaries. He is the missionary spirit. When to think about it. Let's talk about what is a missionary, first of all. A messenger is sent to deliver a message, but a missionary is someone sent on a mission. There's a difference between a messenger and a missionary. You've got, you've got something to do, a purpose to fulfill, not just a message to deliver. The, a missionary has work to do, not just words to say. Now another definite distinction is this. A messenger may make a trip, a visit, to deliver a message, but a missionary moves and lives there. They go and are there. So think about it. Jesus was a missionary. He came from heaven to earth to bring us the good news of the kingdom of God and lived among us, made his dwelling place among us. Jesus was on mission. He left and arrived to be there. And then, to fulfill a whole lifetime of influence, of work, and so on. The Holy Spirit is a missionary. If I return to the fathers of Jesus, I will send to you, who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent from heaven, from the Father and Son, to continue to advance the kingdom of God's Son amongst us. The Holy Spirit lives with us and in us and speaks to us and he's at work in us and through us. He's with us. He lives with us. He's on mission, sent to purpose. Then the Holy Spirit is at work to make us missionaries, people who know that we have been sent by the Lord. We have purpose now, here, in this life. We're on a commission. That's not a percentage payment, by the way. That means, that means you've been given responsibility and a, and a purpose. We have a message, and there is work also to be done. The mission is God's mission, the mission of God. What is God's mission? It's to reclaim the world for himself. What was lost to be recovered. Including the created order. This creation must be remade. 
Blue Planet 2 is all very nice, but this is imperfect. It's broken by our wickedness, by our fall. It will be remade and it will honour God. He's on a mission to restore everything to be an honour to his name, to reflect his glory, to show his image. That's his mission, including making lost people dear children of God. What is lost must be found. What is twisted must be straightened. What is broken must be healed. What's been unmade must be remade. That's God's mission. And when it happens, increasingly, like rolling out, like like territory being taken, that pushing forward of that mission is called, guess what? The kingdom of God. It advances. What is lost is found. What is twisted is straightened. What's broken is healed. What's been unmade is remade. It's the kingdom of God. When God is being king. Kingdom of God is not some ministry title. It's God being king. God's people have a designated role to play in his mission and in the advance of his kingdom. A people filled with the Holy Spirit will be a people of mission with a sense of purpose. They know what they're here for. So let's go back to the commissioning words of the Lord Jesus and the probable order that these happened. Here are three commissioning statements of the Lord Jesus to his disciples. The first one was probably in the upper room within a week of his resurrection. Afterwards he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Interesting, all creation, not just all people, because this is creation-wide. To people, yes, but through people, all creation needs to be renewed. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved, rejected, shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Signs of what? The kingdom of God. God recovering his world, his creation. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. Well, that's about another 30, 40 days later, Mark, but never mind. He's kind of given us this short ending here. He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the world Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Now, between Jesus appearing to his disciples, that was in the upper room the day he, that he rose from the dead. And then Pentecost happening 40 days later, in between that time, the disciples went up to Galilee because Jesus had told them to, and he had time with them in Galilee. And while he's with them in Galilee, he says this to them. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain that Jesus had designated, told them to go to a particular mountain. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. Someone was still struggling with doubts. You know, three weeks or so later. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, when we say that, 
when Jesus said that, is there any authority left? No. He lays claim to all authority. So you better watch out if you're a Trump or a Mugabe or whatever else, because all authority is his. You're on borrowed time. Or even a Theresa May. You're on borrowed time because really all authority belongs to Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And look, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Commissioning words of Jesus. Go and I am with you. How is he with us? Through the Holy Spirit. He's with us. We're here on a mission. To do what? To preach the gospel to all the nations. And there's still a few nations, that is to say people, language groups, that need the gospel to fully engage with them. So we're not done yet, folks. Another place Jesus says, when the gospel has reached all the nations, then the end will come. So forget about all the fuss about Jerusalem and this and this and this and this. The, 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 the time clock ticking is this one. The gospel must reach every nation before the end comes. So we need to be concentrating on that one, not other stuff. In Acts now, this is, the, this, is, this is Ascension Day as we think of it. Jesus is going to go from the disciples. He's returning to the Father. When they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? They still had a very parochial, geographical, political kind of view of the kingdom of God. They still hadn't quite got it. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father is an authority, but you will receive power, authority, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. It's like ripples on a pond. They're moving out with Judea, then around that area, then further away, then really further away to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he'd said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So they stood there still looking. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They were angels of God. And they said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? <laughs> Bit of a rebuke there, wasn't it? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. Then, of course, we get into Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and falls upon the Christians as he has done again and again since then. And the record Luke gives us in Acts 2 and through the following chapters of that book is of the church being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and they, like on the day of Pentecost, again and again, they find themselves almost stumbling out into the world. It's not like there's a, that, that someone's got a game plan. It's just like happening, and it's almost happening like almost haphazardly, it seems. But they, they find themselves in situations where they have to give an offense to the gospel. And both the message and the impact of the kingdom of God are happening as these people, ordinary people, unlearned people, they're from up north and they've never read much. And yet they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're impacting a whole city, and then a whole nation, and then the nations. They had more than words. 
They carried the authority of God as the Holy Spirit empowered and equipped them. We looked two weeks ago at Acts at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and the gifts of the Spirit then. Paul's particularly thinking of the context of the local church there. But the theme of the New Testament is bigger than that. And actually, when you go through the book of Acts, as you do through the life of Jesus, you find those same enablings of the Holy Spirit happening in mission context. Getting wisdom from God as to how to speak to someone, some, some revelation, you know, a, a prophetic word, healing, miracles. These things were happening here, out in the context of impacting new people, unbelieving people with the kingdom of God. The bigger picture is this one than the local church. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Jesus didn't even say about starting with church, but it starts in church. But from church, it goes on to the city, Jerusalem. The local nation, Judea. The next nation, the people who are, you're not like them, they're, they're not like you, Samaria. And then to the remotest part of the earth. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us as individuals and fill our church communities, but then to take us out into a dark, lost, hurting world with the gospel. When Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, let me tell you what that Greek word there is. It's martyrs. It means martyrs. You want to be a martyr? Anybody up for being a martyr? I remember some years ago, we did a, came, somebody came in and did a survey in a church I was working with at the time. And we, they did a survey, it was on the computer, I remember it, of spiritual gifts. And one guy came up with, uh, he came high grating on celibacy and martyrdom. And we said, who's going to go and tell his wife? <laughs> on both scores, you know. Huh. Listen, you only give your life because you're living your life. If you don't live your life, there's no point in giving your life. You live as a witness so that when the time comes, if you have to give your life as a witness, it's no big deal because you're already, you've already devoted your life to be a witness to Christ. We are not just messengers. We are missionaries. We're here not only to say some words but to live a life. So I've got three very straightforward points today. Three very, very clear ones, all right? The gospel's good news. Of course we're commissioned with a message to declare the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of God concerning his son. Let me just pick some phrases at the very beginning of Romans chapter 1. The gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's part of a much longer sentence, but I just want to notice those phrases. It's God's good news. It's not even our good news, it's God's good news. And it concerns his son. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me, it's not about ministry, it's not about church, it's about him. That's what the gospel's about. And it's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus the Messiah, the expected one, the anointed one, who is our Lord, our King, our God. It's good news. See, the JWs come to our door and start, usually, they almost always start with this, and every, every few months they come to my door, and I think, don't you remember coming to my door last time? Don't you think the world is heading for disaster? Wouldn't you agree, sir, that it can't go on like this? And I let him go on a bit, then I said, so what is your good news? What is your good news, then? You know, are we, are you here to talk about the good news? Okay. 
And they say, uh, well, God's going to remake the world. I said, well, that's, that's pretty good news. I said, but I'll tell you how he's going to do it when Jesus, our God and Savior, returns. And then they go, oh, so are you a believer then? I said, yes, and then, and then I'm also a preacher, so if you've got a few minutes and you don't mind me taking your time. <laughs> and I start to talk about Jesus and his true deity and true humanity, and I start to run through the Bible, and there comes a point at which they say, thank you very much, goodbye. <laughs> so the good news is not Jesus, God's going to remake the world. That, 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 that's an outcome. The good news is God sent his son. Yes. Yes. The beginning of the gospel of God, says Mark at the beginning of his and it's Jesus appears and starts saying, the gospel of the kingdom of God is now among you. He doesn't even, Mark doesn't even mention the, the nativity, the birth of Jesus. It's the beginning of the gospel of God. Jesus suddenly appears on the scene and says, I'm here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all about him. It's all about him. Every one of us should know enough of the good news to be able to say something about Jesus. And you can, you know, the, the, the gospel is this, the gospel, you know, like the G-O-S-P-L-E-L, that's a perfectly good way. There are other ways as well. But you need to know how to explain the gospel. And like I say to people I've been encouraging and training over the years to kind of preach and teach and so on. You need to have a 30-second th- a answer, a three-minute answer, a 10-minute You need to be able to say it in a package that, can, that is necessary to the size of the conversation. You need to be able to express the, the gospel in, a, in, in, in literally as you're passing someone in the doorway even, if they ask a question, if, if it seems appropriate to say something. And then other times you sit down, you have discussion and discourse, and, and sometimes you need to you know, make a defense of the gospel in a public place and take 30 minutes doing it. So. But every one of us needs to know in our hearts, without grabbling around to words, how I would explain what the gospel is about. And if you want some help on that, ask me, or write one. Sit down and write one for yourself. When it, when it gets too long, think, I've got to be brutal here and take some words out. Make it punchy. But let me tell you something else about the good news. It needs to be good news to us before it can be good news to somebody else. If it doesn't work, who wants to buy something that doesn't work? I've got this, but it doesn't really help me very much. Oh, but I want you to have it. Oh, Really? What kind of fool do you take me for? The gospel has to work in us and bear fruit in us and be valuable to us and helpful to us and be life-changing and be life-enhancing in us before it's, it's exportable. We need to believe it and be living it. If knowing God through Jesus doesn't fill us with hope and peace and joy, why should anyone listen to us? I remember being on the streets of, 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 of uh, Northern Ireland and I was over there when we were part of uh, New Frontiers and I, I, for some reason I went over for, for a kind of missionary kind of trip, evangelism trip. I don't know why I did it. Anyway, I did. Some friends of mine were going, I think. I, would be, I was also going over there to teach as well at different times. So I thought, well, I'll go and help on that. And as we were getting ready to go and do our good news kind of drama and giving out leaflets down the town, we passed some people from, you know, an evangelical but very dry evangelical church at the top of the town. And there was a guy sitting on a chair and he was grumbling in the microphone, we're all going to hell, we're all lost. And Jesus, God sent his son. And I'm like, I'm like this. 
I thought, dear God, I don't want to be associated with them. It was so miserable that I thought, even, even if he chose the right words, this does not sound like good news. Dear God, you know, what is that? Good news? Good news? Come on, this is good news. Now, we're not all preachers and teachers. We don't all study theology. But everyone who's come to know the Lord Jesus can speak about him because it's your evidence, your testimony. We sang it earlier. It's quoting from Revelation. They overcame him by the blood of them and the word of their, their testimony. They're speaking what they know, what they've experienced themselves. And again, when you're talking to a JW or a Mormon, and you can talk about an experience of knowing Jesus, an experience of receiving the Holy Spirit, an experience of God speaking to you day by day, having relationship and fellowship with Him, they don't have a clue about that. Your testimony is a very powerful tool in witness. We speak what we know, we testify to what we've experienced. To be witnesses... We are more than messengers. We're representatives. We're ambassadors, not messengers. Examples, not orators. Therefore, point two, or three, it absolutely is necessary that we learn how to live good lives. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Uh, 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 no deal. Can't do that. People have every right to look at us. Every right to assess us and assess our message by us. If you complain when they do it, you're the one who needs to sort it out. Common sense as well as experience tells us that words need to be backed by example. We are missionaries, not just messengers. We're here to live this. We, the church, are here not just as a voice in the world. We are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Now I'm going to take a little moment or two here to go through Matthew with you because I want you to see the context of when Jesus said that. Matthew 5, verse 3. The Beatitudes, we call it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled, satisfied. Sorry, I quote the King James when I stopped looking at the screen. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Oh, where did that come from? Because the world doesn't like all the things we just read. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And actually Jesus isn't saying it here, but in the same way they persecuted him. Then he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? 
It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. The basket will catch fire probably. But on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now in that whole context, Jesus sets out there a number of ways in which we're to live and as being very different from the unbelieving world. Our values, the things we want, the things we hunger for, the things we really, really, really want. Righteousness, not material possession. In fact, to think and act in these ways are the very opposite of the way that the world does. Do you get it? They're completely opposite. And when we live that kind of counter-cultural way, which is holy, upright and good, it leads to the world not liking the way we live. So therefore, we get the persecution, the resistance and the oppression. And Jesus tells us to rejoice when that happens because we're not doing the wrong thing, we're doing the right thing. And we're in good company with the prophets and with Jesus himself. He then uses two illustrations to tell us we therefore are what we are to the world. Number one, we are salt of the earth. We think of salt as improving taste. In fact, there's a salt shaker up there, isn't there? But most salt in those days was rock salt. And you know when you get rock salt, you can kind of suck all the salt out of it and you're left with just, just, talc, just like talcum powder or, or, cal, or just bare calcium or whatever else. So when you've used up the salt, it's only good for rubble. Salt's got to have an impact. And salt in those days, they didn't so much put salt on their food, sprinkle salt on the food. They salted meats and so on to preserve them. Right? How many of you have ever eaten salted cod? Anybody Caribbean will have eaten saltfish. Maybe West African too, saltfish. You've heard of salt beef, salted pork. You preserve it so that, you know, I mean, in old days they killed a pig once a year. That, that meat had to last you all year. So it was, it was smoked as bacon, it was salted as leg, it was, you know, so you still had meat to eat. It's preserving. It's, guess what present preserving means? It stops the rot. When Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, the central thought is we're not here to make it taste good. We're to stop the rot. We're to have an influence against evil. We're to protest against injustice. We're to do our very best to, 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 to stop it being as bad as it could be. We can't prevent it all. And when people vote for something, they get what they vote for as well. Yeah? So, you know, all we can do is vote a different way. But we are here to be at least a protest movement for what is right and good and to face the rot of fallen Sinful human nature and society. So we're the salt of the earth. And then we're the light of the world. And Jesus goes on to say, let your light so shine. The light, the world has every right to look at us and expect to see something of God, of Christ, of his kingdom, of the image of God. Every right. Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. Now, you say, well, isn't Jesus the light of the world? Yes, he is. John anticipates it in John 1, 9, then in John 3, 19, and then in John 8 and 9. 
Let me give you these verses here. Jesus spoke again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. But then the next chapter, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Connect with Matthew. When he's gone from the world, guess who's, the, guess who's now the light? We are. You and I. Individual Christians and Christian communities are light to the world. That's why this place is, not this place, this community, sorry, get it right, David, your theology. This community of Christians is called Lighthouse because we have prophetic words of us. We were to be a people of light to Harlow. And we said, that was when Rob, Ashok, and I were the three elders of the church, uh, end of 2008. In 2009, we relaunched, sorry, beginning of 2009, we relaunched as Lighthouse, feeling that that was our prophetic mission to be a household, a community of light. We didn't make it up. Jesus says that to us. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now you are the light of the world. In Isaiah 9, we read it at Christmas time. Oh, where have I put it? Oh, I didn't put it there. Okay, that should be on Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, you know, is a prophecy about the coming of Messiah. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And the context is the Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but then lived in Galilee of the Gentiles, and they saw the light of God in Jesus. All right? But then in Isaiah 60, as Isaiah's rolling out these prophecies, this is now about the people who received the light of God the people of Messiah become themselves light. Arise, shine. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Listen, darkness will cover the earth. There's no surprise in that. The world is a dark place. All right? Let's not be surprised by that. And deep darkness to the people. But the Lord will arise over you. And his glory will be seen upon you. And Gentiles, unbelieving nations, will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. It was the declared purpose of God that when Messiah himself returned to heaven, his people would go on being the light of the world in his place. And this light must not be hidden. It's to be put to use, to be put on display. It must make an impression and impact upon the darkness. It's Christmas time and we dress our homes with pretty lights and even bits of our church buildings as well. But listen, when it's really dark, you are grateful for even the smallest light. If suddenly the power goes off, you know, where's the torch? Even a lighted match will help you when it's really dark. Listen, my friends, we live in a very dark world. And when I was taught as a kid, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, Sunday school song. You might not think of yourself as much, but Jesus says you're the light. You are light in the Lord. Paul picks this up, writing to Philippians. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Different, distinct. Children of God. 
holding fast the word of life. Now you hold out the word of life, you say something, but only because you're already living something. Peter follows the same sort of thinking as well. We're called to live in such a way that unbelieving people see our example and then ask us questions. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly appetites, lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Gentiles is always meaning unbelieving people. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may observe your good deeds, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now I remembered that somebody had a very punchy version of that scripture. And it turned out when I checked it out, it was the NIV, which I read in the early 70s. Now I'm not a great fan of the NIV nowadays. Talk about that another time if you want me to. But here it is in the NIV. Listen to this. Live such good lives among the pagans. It's a bit strong, isn't it? That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits them. Live such good lives among unbelieving people that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they're seeing your good deeds and they will account to God and recognize they saw something and heard something through you when he comes. Peter doesn't let go of the thought. Next chapter. Next chapter, which I haven't got in there. I don't know what I've done here. Sanctify Christ Jesus, verse 13 of chapter 15. Sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, which means to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. When they see, some of them will ask. You be ready to give an answer. And to do that, listen, with gentleness and reverence. When we're living as examples of salt and light, we'll face questions from people. Some will be antagonistic, but some will be making honest inquiry about how and why we live the way that we do. We must be ready to answer their questions which they will ask because they see how we live. But we're not commissioned at that point to get into debating aggressive mode. We're to deal with others with gentleness and respect. And here's a one-line answer which I would suggest to you. We, we or I live by faith in Jesus according to his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, good lives and then good deeds. Good deeds. Let your good works be seen. Jesus said, let your light be shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. Now, he's not saying, he's not excluding good lives. That's included. But see particular acts, specific things, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't want to disappoint anybody, especially you men, but good works is not doing the washing up after your family meal. That's just taking care of business and taking care of the family. Good works have a biblical context. It's doing something in Christ's name. That is something he would do and you are representing him to those in need or simply those lost and unbelieving. That's a good work. Good works, by their very nature, are often done for undeserving people and even ungrateful people. 
If you want the thank you, wait for heaven, all right? Good works are done not because this person deserves it, but simply because you're fulfilling a need and you're serving it. Jesus healed ten lepers, one came back to say thank you. That's what makes them particularly good works. They are God-like, Christ-like in character. And church and Christians should be known by such good works, by serving. In Acts 2 and through Acts 4, the church in Jerusalem are known not only for their love and generosity towards each other, but for their care for the poor in that city. That's the context. They were taking care of the poor in Jerusalem. Those who rejected the gospel, such as the Sanhedrin, the Jerusalem Council, had to admit that these people were good and were doing good to others. Sometimes the work, good deeds were works of power through the Holy Spirit. People were being healed, delivered from demons. Here's Peter starting into his gospel presentation at Cornelius' house. Now I've got to get back in the right order. He said this to Cornelius in the house. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. That ministry of Jesus continues through the church today. We are in the world to do good. To bring help. To bring healing. We know from scripture and from experience that not everyone who is the beneficiary of such an act of God's grace and even of God's power goes on to become a believer. Like I say, only one in ten lepers came back to say thank you to Jesus. Yet all such works by the Spirit are signs of the goodness and power of God who sent His Son Jesus. These signs and wonders accompany the good news. A good work may be an act of, in effect, foot washing, just doing something that really just humbly serves people. Or it could be something dramatic like a sign and a wonder. There really is no difference in value between those two. It's just the one comes out of your heart and out of your power and the other one must come only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's on the front line of the advancing kingdom of Jesus we should expect to see signs and wonders. They're not for the entertainment of Christians in our churches and conferences. But a sign and a wonder is deliberately to demonstrate to unbelieving people that this God is real. His wisdom and His power and His grace are available to people who call on the name of the Lord Jesus and who believe the good news of His Son. There we go. <laughs> I don't know how those got out of order. I looked at those so much. So in these three ways, all three ways, equipped by the Holy Spirit, we are called, set apart to be witnesses. To be, yes, I'll use the word again, missionaries. Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses. Someone who lives a life, not just has a message both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And we fulfill that mission. We represent God and his kingdom by being ready with the good news, yes. But that's backed up by good lives. The quality, the integrity, the, 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 the uh, uprightness of our living really matters. In fact, if we can't get our heads around living a good life for our own sake, let's live a good life for other people's sake. 
and good deeds. In the middle of a busy day, the Holy Spirit may prompt you to do an act of kindness to somebody. Take a few moments out and do it. And move on. We leave deposits of God's grace by acts of kindness. Sometimes we can do them deliberately. We plan, we plot how to serve our community in a particular way. And when we do that, of course, we're resisted. We're always resisted. The devil doesn't like the good news being shared even by acts of kindness and service. So, of course, we're always overcoming resistance in these things. I want you to notice again what you said there. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. We don't start at the ends of the earth and work backwards. We start from right where we are now. We each of us have our own Jerusalem, our own geography of where we are and where, who's around us and where God has placed us. And the key to fruitfulness in Christ is not geography, it's intimacy with him, devotion and obedience to him. So here's a phrase. I found this in the internet. It's not mine. You are not called to serve in a place. You're called to serve in place of the Savior. And some people say, well, I'm, I'm, I want to go and be a missionary. And you say, well, how are you doing here? Well, no, don't worry about it. No, 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 not, not about that. I want to go out there. Well, I'm going to be a bit unkind here and say, if you can't be fruitful here, why should we pay to send you there? <laughs> Fruitfulness has nothing to do with geography. If a person can be fruitful and effective where they are among their family, work colleagues, why should we finance them to go to another continent? We're to be filled with the Spirit and live in and by the Spirit, receiving and employing gifts from the Spirit, pursuing holiness and praying in the Spirit, so that we live the excellent lives which bear witness, faithful witness to the world of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We're to serve the world with good deeds, including at times those gifts the Holy Spirit gives to testify Signs and wonders, power, works of power, to testify to the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And when we are communicating the good news to somebody, we are seeking to respond specifically to that person we're dealing with. Remember Jesus said to the woman of Samaria, go and fetch your husband. He knew something about her, used it to engage with her. He dealt with people individually. People, say, people might say, we want to do Jesus' ministry, so let's figure out how he healed people. I tell you, I've turned the work. He almost never healed anybody the same way twice. He dealt with people as people. And when we're dealing with somebody, you know, in their need or we want to communicate the gospel to them, even though I say, you need to be able to say it quick, briefly, if, if necessary, the fact is, you need to be listening to the Holy Spirit and saying, what does this person need? How do, how do they need to hear this right now? Or what do they need from heaven right now? We're dealing with people, and God, the Holy Spirit, can always equip us to deal with people as people, not just as another one, another notch on the, on the, on the belt. You know, some people go out soul saving, like I got another one today. I pulled another one in. I got another one. Well, what is this? Are you collecting scalps? <laughs> that's not the that's not the tone that Jesus uses of how we deal with lost people. Heaven rejoices when lost people are brought home. The kingdom of God is seeing people being brought back in to where God is king and where he's the lover of their soul and where they experience the things which are only really in God, love, joy, peace, hope. So I want to tell you this morning that whether you thought about it or not, whether you want to vote for it or not, you're a missionary. 
Because God has a mission and a purpose for you right where you are with the people you're among. Your family, your workplace, your neighbours. You're a missionary. Not just a messenger. Because where you are, God has placed you there to live a life, a good life. And to look and listen for those good deeds which will glorify Him in the eyes of others. And don't get over this foolish, this false humility of I don't want to be seen. Uh, you're supposed to be seen. You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Don't, light, don't put the light under, under a basket. Let it be seen. Don't take the glory, don't take the credit, but let the light be seen. So that they may glorify your Father. And in the good news is all about Jesus and our good lives are to glorify Jesus and our good deeds are to glorify Jesus because it never, it never is about us. It's always about him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you said that we will receive the Holy Spirit and we would be witnesses. And so we offer ourselves today to you, Lord Jesus, that you will, by the Holy Spirit, equip us to live our ordinary lives, not, not super spiritual lives, not being something special on a Sunday, but live our ordinary lives as people who know we're under a commission from God to represent him, to be his dear child, to be salt, to be light, to be good news and share good news right where we are. We pray for revelation. We pray that these things may be printed clearly in the, the kind of cinema screen of our minds, that we don't shut it down because it's now time to do it, the, the, the day job, but our day job becomes suffused with our commission our sense of purpose and calling God help us we pray that we do not have an off switch to being a Christian in our lives but we remain focused on our calling which is to be your children lights living brightly no matter how dark the world is. And God, forgive us, we pray, for not heeding your word. And sometimes we do grumble and complain and we think we've got a right to complain about the darkness. We're here to change the darkness. To be the light. May we shine brightly for you, Lord. May we do so with hearts which are gracious and meek because all we are, all we will ever do is only ever by your grace and not by our effort. Be glorified, we pray. As we have opportunity with family this Christmas, may we have times of conversation where again, in response to a question, very likely, let that be responses to questions. We can share what we believe 
how it affects us. The gospel message and our personal testimony of your life in us and your goodness to us. We pray that Jesus may be honoured even through this Christmas time. Amen. Amen. We're going to break bread together. And uh, Chris has asked some people to come and serve in breaking bread. Um,